Hello and welcome to KLO Talks, a podcast for financial discussion. This is where we discuss the latest financial trends, news and events and aim to unravel the complicated world of investing and finance. So whether you're passionate about the sector or just want to understand more about the importance of optimising your finances, KLO Talks has something for everyone. Hello and welcome to another episode of KLO Talks, the podcast for financial discussion. Um, this show should have been done at the very, very beginning of this process, but we sat down and thought, well, actually, we've not done an introduction to the actual business um, that we've been talking about and the things under this business that we actually do. So today I'm joined by another of the team here at KLO. Um, his name is Andy Green. Welcome, Andy. Welcome. Morning. Thank you for being here. Pleasure. Um, it's a strange experience for me as a first time on a podcast, but I'll do my best and give it a go. I'm sure you're going to be fine. So this episode, we wanted to give an introduction to obviously yourself, but also KLO as a firm. As I said, this isn't something that we've already done, um, which should have come for us, but we had lots of juicy topics to get into uh, to start off with. So why don't you introduce yourself, who you are, what you do? Thank you, Peter. I'm uh, Andy Green. I um, am co-director of KLO Financial Services. I've been in the industry since 1998 um, through university, joined a high street bank and became an IFA 2004. And then I left in 2013 and set up KLO Financial Services at that point and then joined forces with my co-directors in 2016 and we've kind of grown on from there, really. So what made you make that kind of move from where you were to set up KLO? Um, partly through experience, through understanding of the industry, understanding of products, <coughs> excuse me, and of services that are out there for clients that weren't necessarily on offer by a high street bank, mm -hmm. purely because of risk and restrictions and just the generics of, of the conglomerates of working for a high street bank. Um, I just wanted to be able to offer the client the best product that was out there, not the best product that was being offered yeah. within that restricted covenant. Um, so ultimately, I decided that enough was enough and thought I had the experience and the, the, the know-how <laughs> to go and do it on my own. And uh, you learn pretty quick that there's yeah. various different things that you didn't know. But um, what now, seven years in, nearly five years in as as a co-director team um, and I think we're doing a pretty good job. Uh, you've actually touched on something I was actually going to ask you. Um, in hindsight, if you look back now, did you know everything that you thought you knew or needed to have known when you started out? Were there, were there gaps? Um, more so around the running of a business, I mm -hmm. would guess. Um, I've always thought I was pretty amenable and could you know, engage with people and staff. But it's very different when all of a sudden you become the boss. Um, so, yeah, so I had to kind of learn pretty quickly the, the fine line between friend, colleague uh -huh. and the boss. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, that with the help of the co-directors that have kind of stepped into those roles through the years, that's really driven the management team to, to what it is today, really. And we've all got our own skill set. And it works kind of well as a, as a puzzle yeah. to um, work together to kind of look after the staff, look after the clients, know the industry inside out and develop the proposition from there, really. Fantastic. So started seven years ago. 
Yep. How many is in the t- how many people are in the team right now? What is it growing to at this point? So, in time? so initially it was just me. Um, having left, as I say, High Street Bank, uh, I then contracted to another IFA company for a couple of years, um, just because I wanted to experience being an IFA without the umbrella of the big corporate. Mm-hmm. Um, having done that, met my co-director John uh, at that at that firm, and then we decided that we would form together and and move the company forward so we kept the name um john came into the business and then we partnered with mark uh, a well-known uh, business angel within birmingham for his contacts for his networks for his business management skills and ultimately that was the the director team yeah um that then went from a couple of staff at the outset in 2016 and we're up to sort of 14 staff now, um, various different departments, management structures, uh, both within the service of clients' existing assets and within the report writing team, within the power planner network, within operations and within compliance. So yeah. we've, we've become a proper little business. Yeah. Um, so yeah, very different to what it was when I left and <laughs> went on my own. Yeah. So what was the vision for you when you started out? And I know you said that, you know, clients were really kind of centered to the fact that you wanted to give them a, a really good service. Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Because I think that's really important for, for this industry and for financial advisors. Yeah. So a lot, well, pretty much every financial service provider says they focus on service. Yeah. Um, and having spent 14 years at High Street Bank, we all know that, the risk, the compliance, the the productivity, um, the production line, if you like, of that advice is very slick, mm-hmm. and the process is very slick. But what they fall down on is provide is providing that ongoing service to clients because clients, the the proposition itself has to be centered around attracting new business because that's the way it works and when you attract new business you get new clients and you get too many clients and then the service drops off yeah so when i when i left one of the reasons why i left was because the bank started restricting who you could see as a client that had to have so much money Mm -hmm. and for me fifty thousand to one person is the equivalent of half a million to another yeah yeah so ultimately, I didn't want to be within an elitist group that only spoke to people with X amounts yeah. of money. And I wanted to be able to offer the same level of service, the same proposition, the same attention to detail to someone with 50,000 as to someone with a million pounds. Yeah. So we set about designing a process that was able to do that and was able to offer the same proposition the same service the same amount of time in front of their advisor whether it was an investment of 50,000 or whether it was a a million pound investment and that to me was the real essence and the real importance of of KLA yeah and I wanted to make sure when we sat down me John and Mark that that service ethic was was actually genuinely core of the business yeah I think you hit on a really important point there because I think if you look the general public's perception sometimes of the financial services or financial advisor sector is that it is almost very elitist, that you have to have 
£250,000 before an advisor will come out and even, you know, see you and spend time with you. And you're absolutely spot on. £50,000 is still a lot of money, but it means different things to different people. They still have pretty much the same purpose, whether it be in a pension or an investment, it's there for the same reason. Therefore, that same level of service, regardless of what money you have, is really important because ultimately you're servicing people and not the number. Correct. And that is that is the essence. You know, we, we are servicing the client and the, the advice that they need, irrespective of the amount they have invested within a particular product or several products. And ultimately, it's a very cliche comment, but everyone has to start somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, the reality is that not everybody is fortunate enough to have millions and millions mm-hmm. of pounds. But at the same time, every pound is essential to every client. Absolutely. So the yeah. reality is they have to be serviced and they have to be looked after. And that is where the, the essence and the core of, of KLO forms from. And that is built around our, our staffing and our process is is built around that ethos. So it's not just something that we say and then ultimately when we've got loads of clients, we're not bothered about mm-hmm. the smaller clients. That That is simply not true because the whole process is built around client managers. So every individual client has a dedicated client manager and a dedicated financial advisor mm. or financial planner or chartered planner. So the reality is that Every single client, irrespective of value, irrespective of complexity and how, how many times they want to be spoken to, they have a dedicated client manager and a dedicated advisor that are, that are both in regular contact with that client. So obviously the qualified advisor provides that, that advice around pension planning or, or ISAs or investments or whatever it may be, corporate advice or inheritance tax planning. But the administration of that client and the day-to-day and the paperwork and the confusing letters that often come through from yeah. providers, that's dealt with by the client managers. And certainly for all of my clients, their client manager is their first port of contact. Mm-hmm. They they know if they want some advice on whether they should sell an investment, for example, they know that, that I'm the one that's going to be giving that advice. But ultimately... Their first port of call is their client manager yeah. because the client manager knows where I am. They knows yeah. my they know my availability. They know that the client's not leaving a voicemail and then chewing their nails waiting for a, a phone call back. Call back yeah. It might be that they can answer the query there and then and calm the nerves of the of the client. Yeah. It might be that they need to refer to me, but at the same time they know I'm in a meeting until X time, and therefore they know when I'm going to be coming back to that client. The number of clients at high street banks and dare I say it with other IFAs, that leave voicemails, then play voicemail tennis. It's the most frustrating thing in the world when you just, in your head, want a simple answer to something and can't find find an individual at the end of the phone to answer that that, that simple query. I think that's really, really important as a point. Um, Won't mention names, but I certainly know of uh, advisory firms that, you know, they're, they're happy to bring on board new clients, but that ongoing service kind of falls by the wayside, yeah. particularly now with what we've just gone through with COVID and the recession. People have questions and then being able to get hold of you to ask, am I okay or am I not okay? Do, yeah. do I need to ch- change things or not? That ease of contact is so, so important. Correct. And, there, and there's so much, 
you know, there's, there's ad, you're even having adverts now about fake news mm-hmm. and how you need to perfect yourself, protect yourself against that fake news. So, you, like you say, it's it's we we made a beeline within the business to to contact as m- many of our clients as we possibly could as early as possible within kind of the March um, pandemic period, if you like, to just to touch base with them and say. You know, we are keeping an eye. We are open. The office door might be shut because, you know, we can't go into the office. Into the office. We can't get on a train to go into the office or whatever it may be. So the reality is that the office door's shut, but I can assure you that every single member of our team is working. Mm -hmm. And the majority of clients I spoke to just wanted that reassurance that we weren't going to be running a mile if you know the bottom falls out of the market. And the reality is that the market did fall quite sharply. But our portfolios and our, our investments are geared up to defend against that downturning yeah. world and ultimately protect what clients have got and then hopefully recover quite quickly with the recovery in, in the market. So yeah. it was very pleasing that, that a lot of our clients were kind of there or thereabouts back to where they were in February at the peak, you know, at kind of May June time, yeah. and whilst they're not quite there in some cases, the reality is that they're not too far away. Yeah, and everyone knows that the world's gone to pot. Yeah, um, at the moment, unfortunately, <laughs> with COVID and various other things that are lining up to cause financial issues in 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 due course. But ultimately, they just want that reassurance that everything's okay. Yeah, as you say. So it was important for us that that all our client managers were still contactable, some via the phone, some via email, and every single one of our advisors has got personal direct calls to mobiles, emails, etc. We've used weird and wonderful communication um, techniques that we've we've not used before uh-huh. through Microsoft Teams and Zoom. Yeah, and seeing you know clients to see in my office um, <laughs> at home um, as tidy as it can be. Um, but yeah, we just tried to keep it as normal and as consistent as as it was previously unfortunately without the the face-to-face contacts that that both i and clients enjoy but you know we've, we've just got to crack on in the circumstances that we're in at this moment in time really yeah this leads me on to something else that i think is really important to sort of highlight but before we move on to that i just wanted to actually make a comment because i think i've been working with you guys on and off at KLO through different capacities, maybe for the last maybe couple of years now. And one of the first things that I kind of um, got a very, very good sense of just speaking to John and speaking to Mark is that you guys are very much about people. And the the phrase I think that Mark you and John uses um, it's always important to have good people around you, and I certainly see that translate through the business and through everything that you guys do in terms of actually speaking to clients when things aren't going too well. Because it's it's a it's such a crucial element that people oftentimes are like, "Well, Martin's gonna I don't want to answer those questions," and they just they just flee, and built on top of that are the things that you do. So the fact that you are still fully independent so you have full range of the market when there's a lot of the market which is constricting down to restricted models now where they have to go down certain routes for the advice so as one of you can speak a little bit more about the independent status as well first it's great to hear that that's come across um from a a a people perspective because as john mark and and many of 
have rightly said, the reality is that people interact and people buy off people. You know, there's not much difference between IFAs, IFA A and IFA B mm-hmm. in, in terms of their education, their qualifications and, and the products that they can do apart from obviously if they're restricted. But if they're fully independent IFA, then there's not much difference between one company and another yeah. in terms of their offering. But the realities of, of what it's how it's delivered is where I think companies can differentiate. Mm-hmm. And that goes across all industries. You know, it's it's the service that you receive that makes you go back to a particular restaurant or it makes you go back to a particular shop that you buy from or whatever it is the reality is that people will introduce us as a firm and me as an advisor on the back of the service that they receive and that service is not solely from me it it would be impossible for me to deliver the service levels that i would like to deliver to my clients solely on my own i need a team around me and we've got client managers we've got our in-house investment team and we've got power planners that all do their own part of the the, the jigsaw if yeah. you like that makes the, the the company tick and and allows us to deliver the the service levels that that we want to and as you rightly said earlier it's the ongoing that keeps your client yeah you know the, they say that the it's easy to attract a client it's much harder to, to keep, keep them. them yeah absolutely and the reality is that if the service levels are up there people know that we can't control the markets. I can't control what Donald Trump decides to say. I can't control what they do in Parliament over Brexit. But the reality is that we can have some indication of what they're doing, how that's going to impact on the investments and try and protect the client's assets or grow the client's assets in accordance with where we see the world going. But the reality is if you deliver that service and you deliver that conversation and that contact with the client, then that's what the client wants. Of course, they want to make money. Yeah. But they also appreciate that, you know, it's it's almost impossible to make money when the world around you is losing forty odd percent. Yeah. But if you cannot lose forty percent, then that's a good place to start from when the world starts to recover. How important do you think it is in conversations to um, ensure that clients have understanding? Because I know that some people are very much they are very much about performance, performance, performance. Positive performance is great, but I think studies have shown us that it gets to a certain point where people make money and they don't care about it as much after a consecutive years. What they do feel, though, is that pain of losing money. And oftentimes for clients, it can be a little bit of a panic, a shock moment of I've, it's gone down by 20% because of something completely outside of their control. How do you think that conversation, how important the conversation with clients is about understanding that risk element in what you do? I think it's imperative from... From excuse me, from right at the beginning, when you first meet that client, whether they're a, an existing investor or whether they're a, a new to the world of risk, if you like, it's imperative that that re, that relationship between risk and reward is fully understood. Now, I'm not talking about that they fully understand how equities prices are are affected by X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. It's the relationship between ultimately in simple terms the more risk you take the more reward you may get mm-hmm. but likewise the more money you you Might may lose. you yeah. may lose yeah. and similarly on a course's nature typically you would expect less of a fall if markets fell but again within the cautious world you tend to buy into particular assets and if those particular assets 
collapse for whatever reason, then you need to understand that even within a cautious world, you could lose double-digit numbers. Mm -hmm. But then likewise, you could make double-digit numbers. It's unprecedented within, within a particular sector to see that particular volatility. But we don't know... You know, it's unprecedented that we have a world lockdown. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's arrived. It's here. We've lived through it. Yeah. It's it's been and gone, and hopefully that's it. But yeah. um, the reality is that the client needs to understand that both at the outset, both on an ongoing basis, and also at different stages of their life. You know, unfortunate enough, in one respect, they have got many years to go before I retire. Um, so therefore, if my investments lose a significant amount of money it doesn't matter too much because I've got 20 odd years to recover that. Yeah. But for someone that's approaching or in retirement, then, then that relationship between the, the potential for loss is really, really important, both that they understand it and that they're aware of it both on, a, on an ongoing and on an ongoing basis and also in accordance with where they are yeah. and where, where their world is at that particular moment in time. Yeah. But I think it's, it's key that that is an ongoing discussion and that's something that we review on a regular basis, whether it be through on our face-to-face meetings, Zoom meetings as it is at the moment, mm-hmm. um, or whether it be through quarterly magazines, um, articles that we write, communications that, that we put on the website. We'll try and give the client as much information as they want to read. Mm-hmm. You can never have, in my view, too much. You can just choose to read it all or some of it or none yeah. of it. The choice is up to you. And we have clients that put complete faith in our team and they won't read anything and they won't worry about it and they'll just take what their advisor says as gospel. And then we have others that will challenge almost everything that's that's said. And, you know, I like it either way. Yeah, It's nice to have that trust from a client, but at the same time, when you've got a client that's digging into all of the detail that you're giving them, then that's equally great because you've got a client that's really interested, really engaged, and also challenging you to think and make sure that what what you're doing yeah. is is right. I think ultimately with that as well, it's all about the fact that the service you're providing is actually a personalized service. So with different clients, they will get different things. And one thing that you guys do really, really well is, you know, the articles and all the stuff that you've got out, yeah. even the podcast now, just having stuff that people can access at any given time to satisfy their appetite, depending on how they want to basically consume it. It's a personal service. And inevitably in difficult times then clients will read more yeah because they'll worry more yeah um in good times actually our job is easier because clients are making money <laughs> and they're all really happy and we don't yeah. you don't have as much contact from them from that respect yeah. so as you rightly say every single client is treated individually just because it's right for mr jones it might be wrong for mrs smith the yeah. reality is that everyone's treated based on their circumstances. So what are the main areas of advice that you know, are key to, to the firm and to, to the client? So, so as you said, as you alluded to, we're fully independent. So we have no restrictions of where we can't give advice. Um, we have access to all the providers that are on the marketplace, whether it be obviously a big um, discussion at this moment in time is pensions, whether that's accumulation of pension assets, mm-hmm. i.e., you know, you through your work, you're in your working life, and you want to get that big pension so you can retire early, or you can retire in a very nice lifestyle yep. when you get there. 
um, or whether it's that you, you're approaching that point and you want to know if you've got enough to retire. Um, we, we look at pensions from all aspects, um, whether that be um, defined contribution schemes, so that's where you're making regular contributions going in on a month-to-month basis, whether that's just you or your employer or both. Um, we don't do uh, defined benefit advice in-house anymore just because of the nature of the industry yeah. um, in that mainly the FCA, the regulator would like it to be at arm's length. So if we advise a client to transfer a defined benefit scheme and then end up managing it, then it could be argued that there's a yeah, juxtaposition there. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So from that perspective, we, we utilize the expertise of, of companies that, that are in that sector and only that sector to give that advice. But again, if it's the right thing to do for the client, then we'll look after the, the subsequent funds in due course. So pensions is a big one, um, given obviously the changes that have been made almost annually to pensions. Yeah. Um, annual allowances, tapered annual allowances with doctors and high earners that are inadvertently breaking the contribution mm -hmm. thresholds. Some of them are not, not aware yeah. of it until they get a nasty letter in a brown envelope from yeah. HMRC. Um, so that's a big area. Uh, general investment planning, whether it's ISAs, onshore, offshore, the most tax-efficient manner to, to house some assets for a client, whether it's building for themselves or for their children or both. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously, inheritance tax planning or gen well, general tax planning. So there's a lot of people now that, that are earning substantial funds and paying substantial amounts of tax. Tax, yeah. Um, and in reality, the, the two biggest eroders to one's personal wealth is tax and costs yeah. charges so if we can bring our charges down um within our particular sector of advice and if we can reduce the amount of tax that a client's paying away through the most tax efficient form of planning whether that be pension contributions whether it be venture capital trust investments um enterprise investment schemes there's there's a number of different schemes out there that may or may not be right for a client but my job I believe, is to basically play cards with the client with the face up. So the client knows what hands they've been dealt, they've been dealt mm -hmm. and they can choose which part of that hand they want to play. So yeah. they can play it safe and stay with general investments or they can look at the riskier investments, if you like, that come with additional tax benefits and significant, in some cases, significant tax savings, especially as you, you move through the tax brackets. Mm. As clients, more and more individuals now are, are entrepreneurs, self-employed. So it's how do I extract the money from my business tax in a tax-efficient manner yeah. without giving a significant proportion away to someone they've never say. met. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so from that perspective, it's it's that area is a big area. It's one that I really enjoy. And similarly, within inheritance tax planning, you know, the biggest erosion of of a of a gift, if you like, from mum and dad to their children is is inheritance tax. Yeah. Um, at forty percent, in some cases, if you've got a couple with maybe three or four children, um, as in my case, then ultimately a gift away to those upon death um, means that ultimately the taxman ends up with more than the the children individually. So. Yeah. It's about how we can plan for that, what we can do. There's a number of different things, onshore, offshore investments, and we're not talking about you know, panorama 
investigations in mm -hmm. offshore investments here. <laughs> We're talking about legitimate, fully regulated um, investments into tax-efficient assets. And yes, it comes with an initial cost, but I can guarantee you our costs are nowhere near as big as... The tax bill. The tax bill. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's about utilising... And again, there's a bit of a myth around inheritance tax planning because it, it's this, oh, I've got to give it away and it's in a black hole and no one can use it. Mm -hmm. I can't use it and my children can't use it. And that's simply not true. There's there's a number of different investments um, uh, and vehicles out there now that you can use it if you want to use it through your lifetime. Yep. You can gift it away throughout your lifetime, whether that's to children or grandchildren, or you can, whatever's left in the pot upon your demise is is passed on in a tax efficient manner and yeah. we can you know although it's a million now it doesn't take a lot to get there well, to get there yeah absolutely um so yeah so there's there's that's that's an area that that i enjoy focusing on um and also the the actual stock picking so the we build portfolios for clients within our own funds so it's we don't just utilize the services of we can do if it's right for the client but we don't just utilize the services of external investment houses where they're making decisions because they think it's the right thing to yeah. do but we don't know why they're making that yeah, decision yeah, yeah. we have our own investment committee in-house so we build our own portfolios within our own funds so it's a simplified cost efficient uh, investment strategy that doesn't dilute the investment proposition in the process yeah. so you still get a fully diverse fully independent uh, investment proposition with an array of different investment holdings in lots and lots of different assets but to you as a client it's all wrapped up in one simple fund yeah within maybe one or two different products depending on the tax efficiency of it and you end up getting one valuation so yeah. you're not getting valuations from all over the place and thinking what pages where do I, where do I pages. Put this? yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which statement is this? And you know, if, if if you're not the best at filing things away, then it ends up in a drawer somewhere. Mm -hmm. And it's is it the kitchen drawer or the hall drawer that's got the pension yeah. information in? So it's just nice and straightforward. And uh, you know, we're ever evolving with technology as the world evolves. You know, we're doing a podcast for a start, um, yeah. <laughs> which we wouldn't have been doing three or four years ago. Yeah. Um, but things just like uh, client access to their their valuation. So historically it would have been paper-based but now typically it's can i get it on an iphone yeah. can i get it online can i get it on an ipad can i get it emailed to yeah. me all of which you know we we fully support we've got apps that that give clients valuations once they're registered and obviously for security reasons etc we go through that loophole but i think that as the clients evolve as the the demand from a client as to what they want and how they want it delivered, it's important as a business to make sure that you continue to listen to that. Absolutely. And you continue to evolve with that. We've just recently done a client feedback um, questionnaire that we're just waiting on the results being filtered in. And obviously, we'll have a look at that. And if there's things there that we think we can add greater value to, then we'll, we'll look at how we deliver that. But again, it all speaks back to it's a personal service. Yeah. It's a personalized service, not what you think your clients want it's what your clients want being delivered in the fashion that you know you are able to adapt to correct effectively and a simple version of that is we use typically when we set up i thought there's loads and loads of emails going out to clients with everything on let's do a paper-based 
quarterly magazine that clients can read because they don't get much post anymore. Mm-hmm. It's all emailed, etc. Mm-hmm. And initially that was really well received and it was, wow, you've actually posted us something as opposed to emailed us something and it was read and we've got questions back on it. But then again, that we've done that every quarter for the last five years, so for four years. So a bit of that familiarity breeds a bit of contempt, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And more and more clients have now started saying, well, can we email it? Can we read it online? Mm-hmm. Can we access it? So we've, we've got an electronic version. We've got a page turner on social media as nice. well as our website and things. So we, I know loads of people say it, but we do actually listen to clients. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'd like to think we develop our process and our delivery of our service in accordance with what the client is telling us they want. Yeah. And that's all we can do. You know, the biggest skill of an advisor is to listen to your client. Yeah. And if we continue to do that, I think we'll continue to deliver a good level of service. Fantastic. I know that you've spoken a little bit about an inheritance tax there, and that's a really, really big area of advice. It will be certainly in the next 10 to 15 years as you get that wealth transfer. I think in the UK, it's going to be around at 1.3 or 1.4 trillion. It's huge. So I know we're going to talk about that on a separate episode. Um, yeah, I think people have heard me enough on this on this <laughs> edition. Um, so it might be worth, if uh, if they've not tuned out already, doing it as a separate um, entity. But it's such a complex area of planning. Um, it, it's difficult to to just make it particular to every person listening mm-hmm. on here. But certainly, as you rightly say, the reality is that it's one of the biggest earners for the taxman. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's certainly not going to be an area that he looks to, or she in due course, looks to increase the allowances significantly for individuals. I know they've gone up recently with the residential nil rate band, but even so, as I said earlier, at a million pounds, it sounds a big number. It's very easy to get to. And it is. If someone put a million pound in front of you, it would take you a while to count it. But the reality is a couple of houses. I mean, I'm born and bred in Birmingham, live not too far away now. And ultimately, there's a lot of areas in Birmingham where the average house value is... Pretty much half of that, if yeah. not more. Yeah. So it doesn't take a great deal yeah. to be closing close to that figure, which is why I think it's an important area that that we should focus on yeah. with all clients. And it's an area I really enjoy because ultimately I think, I think we stop the taxman getting loads of money. Yeah, true. And I think there's an element of maybe perhaps people don't actually realise that you know that bill is due pretty quickly after after someone passes yeah. away and I, I know people who have had to sell properties to pay that bill and yeah. that's a big thing to to do the family house to pay an inheritance tax bill and it's really important to get ahead of it really early yeah um, obviously people unless you've experienced death and the and the paperwork and the administration that comes with that and um, both the emotional turmoil of you know dealing with a family member passing away and then the headache of HMRC, HMRC, and, and the administration's paperwork, and a lot of people go to a solicitor, and of course, in, there's obviously costs involved with that, mm-hmm. which is rightly so. But the reality is that there's things that you can do as an individual to protect your loved ones from the emotional turmoil of having to deal with paperwork, as well as having to deal yeah. with your passing. Yeah. Um, you know, I lost my mum when she was 61, five years ago, which is a young age. But ultimately, you you know, she didn't have everything 
as it should have been. Yeah. So it's it takes a while. And as you say, the bill's due pretty quick um, after someone's death. Um, and the last thing you want is the tax man chasing you for a bill when you're trying yeah. to come to terms with that loss. Yeah, so absolutely. everything we can do in in life with that individual, with that client to help support their loved ones, help make sure that their loved ones get as much of their estate as they possibly can. And we will do, whether that's from um, just having a document that has everything listed, yeah. this is what I've got and this is where it is and talk to this one about this yeah. plan, etc. I think, you know, if my mum would have had that, M- it, it would have made things a million times yeah. easier. I wouldn't have had to look up the sky and ask <laughs> questions of yeah. what did she do with that <laughs> share certificate and the likes and get no answer, which is yeah. always the difficult part. So, yeah, so just little things like that that we can we can help with. And as you rightly say, if we can mitigate some of that trillion dollar payout to the tax man, mm-hmm. then um, you know that means our clients end up with with a bit more money, which is always nice Great. as their advisor. Absolutely, absolutely. So, in running this off, have you got any final sort of words about KLO? Anything you want to convey to the listeners? Um, I think I've I've been through kind of what's core to KLO in terms of the service levels. Um, it's like anything; just talk to us. You know, we talk to clients as often as we can. I appreciate when clients talk to us as often as they can. And if if you're thinking about investing, if you're thinking about which is the right IFA firm, then I would employ you to go and talk to one or two of them. And hopefully one of them is us. Um, and if if we get on, great. We'll take on as a client. If we don't and we're not right for you, then that's equally great because you know that the person you're going to is... It's going to be perfect for you. going to be perfect for yeah. you. So... That is kind of the philosophy that I work to, the firm works to. You know, the, every company isn't right for every client. And the reality is that, that that's going to be the same in the financial services industry. Yeah. But I'd like to think that we're right for an awful lot of clients. Yeah. And you know, just come and talk to us as an obligation. You can have a chat with us. And if you disagree with me and you, we're not right for you, then that's that's fine. Um, you don't have to proceed any any further. But... Ultimately, if you try it and, and you, know, you understand it, the more clients understand it, that's what we're there to do. It's an education piece. It's, it's cliche, but it's a journey with the client. And we want to be there with the client. And, and there's nothing more pleasing to me than a client saying at 60, 65, whenever it may be, thanks very much for your help. Yeah. I'm retiring. And I'm going to do this. And yep. this is what I've always dreamed of doing. Yep. And we're going to buy that house in Cornwall or whatever it may be. Then that's that's my job. Yeah. You know, is to is to help people get to where they want to go. Yeah. And that's what the ethos of the firm really is. Yeah. And I will say this in closing as well. I did say this through the, the podcast is, you know, this firm is about having good people around you and if you if you live life with that same philosophy of i will have a saying i have a saying where well my friend has a saying that i've adopted because it's true right i pinched it she says there are two kinds of people in life there are radiators and there are drain pipes drain pipes are the negative ones that suck things out make things unpalatable and pleasant the radiators are the good people and i've said it before just interactions with mark and interactions with john and everybody here terry Massimo, everybody, it is about having good people, radiators. So if you are, you know, in a position where you're looking to invest or you're looking for someone to help you meet your financial goals, meet your life goals, 
consultations with you know people like Andy and Terry and people in the team are complimentary. It doesn't cost you anything and they'll welcome these kind of conversations. So do feel free to reach out. There will be a link in the show notes uh, for you to make contact and have a conversation over coffee or over Zoom if we're still in lockdown. Um, Hopefully we can get face to face. Hopefully we can get face to face. But thank you so much for joining me, Andy, for this Pleasure. episode. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who's been listening. Um, until the next episode, we'll catch you soon. Thanks again.